0: So it's Matthew 13, verse uh, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. So the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. You guys can have a seat. We're kicking off... Um, the new year, and we're gonna do something that we've kind of done the last few years is just an awakened Primer series, just a one-shot teaching about the new year. And um, I wanted to share a few things, but I felt like a lot of those things tie into this parable, these two short verses that Jesus shares with a wider audience found in the Gospel of Matthew. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read those again. And this time, we just listen to it standing up. But this time, I want you guys to listen to it and close your eyes just while I'm reading, not afterwards. Close your eyes and imagine it. Play out what this looks like. Conjure up some mental energy in your imagination to picture this scene. Again, it's Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went out and sold everything he had, and he bought it. So we're going to spend the next um, few minutes just unpacking these verses and how they can give us truth for this year. Uh, Again, if you don't know me, my name is Andrew, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. And I just want to give you some context on pearls. Some context on pearls in the ancient world is that they were probably one of the most inflated items around. Uh, Everybody wanted pearls, especially noble Roman patrician women. They desired pearls. It was this inflated commodity. It was a sign of wealth. The more pearls you had or owned, the more wealth you were. But it was also something very interesting because it gets kind of weird. Roman law started to forbid the wearing of too many pearls. Because then that just looked ostentatious and gaudy. And, and we don't really know what that's like, guys, but women do. Women are like, that girl's wearing way too much makeup or she's got way too much jewelry on, and they know. But pearls were like that. They were wearing it too much too often, and laws were passed to limit the wearing of pearls. I didn't know that. I thought it was pretty cool. There's also some weirder stuff. There's a really cool story recorded by Suetonius in the ancient world. Cleopatra and Mark Anthony are meeting together, and she says, I will put on the most expensive banquet you've ever been to. Mark Anthony was a Roman general, Roman consul. He was like, I don't think you can do that. Cleopatra, the queen of Egypt. They're sitting across the dinner table and she takes a cup of of pure vinegar and drops a large expensive pearl into it. You don't know what happens there chemically, the pearl will dissolve. Next, she raises her glass to Mark Anthony and drinks it. And Mark Anthony says, you've won. The most expensive banquet in the ancient world. I don't want to try that. I advise against it, but she did. So pearls were a precious commodity in this time. And Jesus uses them in this parable to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And that brings us to the next thing we looked at. We looked at pearls, but what's this whole deal with Parables. I don't understand what a parable is. And uh, just to give you guys, again, some context in Matthew 13, we're about halfway through the book of Matthew. And so far, Matthew's been recording some great teachings. But then Matthew 13, he just stops and he starts sharing parable after parable after parable. And it's kind of confusing. Where these stories come from? We don't really know what they mean. He explains some of them. And Matthew's this tax collector who a few short chapters earlier decided to follow Jesus. And if we look at parables, they're, what they are is they're hidden messages revealed by a hidden king to show a hidden kingdom. That's what a parable is. And the Bible says in Isaiah that the Messiah is gonna talk in parables. And the reason why is so that people will spiritually understand what's going on. Because parables are always going to lead you to one destination, to one place. They're going to lead you to a prophetic confrontation where you have to choose something. Parables are not just nice stories. Again, they're hidden messages by a hidden king to reveal a hidden kingdom. And when you've come to that destination, you're going to have to decide, do I step into this hidden kingdom or not? The parable that we're looking at about this pearl, again, it is an economic parable. And it's kind of one of those things that that even when we talk about money now, we've got show upon show about money, from Clark Howard to Dave Ramsey to investment guidelines. When you start talking about a story about money, everybody kind of leans in. Everybody wants to know what's the tip, what's the scoop. Are you going to give me a, a, a pro tip for an investment? Are you going to tell me how to manage my money? Are you going to rail against people who have too much money? That's a pretty popular thing back then and today. How are you going to talk about money? So we looked at the context of pearls and parables And so now let's dive into this text. Again, two short verses. Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He is the king. And he says, it's like a merchant. The Greek word for that is emporo anthropon, which is really cool because we think like, emporo, what's that? Like, why are you talking to me about Greek? I don't know what emporo is. But if we take just a quick step over to translate that word in English, it means emporium. And all of us might be familiar with the context of an emporium, a bazaar, or what we call a marketplace, or even in modern America, what we call a shopping mall. Open air town center. Now we're talking. Some of you guys are like, yes. And then some of you guys are like, no, I'm burned out, okay? Christmas just ended. I'm a little burnout of the emporium. So, we're talking about a man of the emporium, a merchant, a man of the marketplace. He's searching for fine pearls. And again, our culture and society is very similar. We're all searching for a fine pearl, a great deal, a good gift. We're all going to use money to buy these things. And this is what this merchant is doing. And in our society, We have 37,000 shopping malls across the United States. At those shopping malls, $1.5 billion are spent. Um, The stats come from Culture Shift by David Henderson. Some stats on Amazon, because see, the Emporium isn't just a place we go, now the Emporium is a web browser that we get to go up and we can shop in our underwear, which is awesome, and not have to go anywhere. And guys really like this. we are like, yes. Whereas girls kind of like, oh, they kind of like getting all, you know, dolled up sometimes, going out, making a day of it. But guys are like, thank you, Amazon. I can shop in my underwear. Maybe that's not you. I want to project that onto you. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. But the average household with an Amazon Prime membership spends $1,400 a year. And what's surprising is actually there are 90 million Amazon Prime memberships in the United States. That's kind of between one-third and one-fourth of our population. So two-thirds of American households have an Amazon Prime membership or had an Amazon Prime And then what's surprising is 43% of teenagers say that Amazon Prime is their premier shopping destination. It's like, okay. So immediately this parable that's talking about a merchant, a man of the emporium, upon closer inspection, it is talking about a man of the emporium, but it's also talking about us. We are a people, of the emporium. We are a people of the marketplace. We are a people of the world saturated with buying things of the world. So as we continue to dissect this passage, um, the heart of any language, even English, is verbs. Verbs convey all of the action. In these two short verses, there are six verbs. See, this man of the emporium, the action centers on him and the verbs that he goes about doing as he searches and he finds and then he, he goes out, went out, he sells all of his stuff, all that he has and he buys this one pearl. There's these six verbs. Probably the most important verb, if we're going to look at this, is the first one, search. The Greek word just means seeking. And what's interesting about this word seeking is we might be like, oh, yeah, like you're looking for a deal, but that's not what really it meant to Jews. Because the Jews were seeking something, and it wasn't a good deal at the Emporium. The Jews were seeking the Messiah who was promised to them in the Old Testament that would come and would liberate them again from bondage and slavery. Just like he liberated them from bondage and slavery to Egypt, the Messiah would come and liberate them from bondage to Rome. And the word over and over is they are seeking him. And it's not just used by Matthew. It's used by John. It's used by Luke and Peter and Mark. All of them is this, almost this frenetic, frantic activity of seeking. They're seeking the Messiah. And so immediately when Matthew uses this word seeking, his readers are starting to grasp on to wait, wait a second. Wait a second, this parable, it started out about money and economics, but all of a sudden it's starting about, it's it's talking about the Messiah. It's talking about what are we seeking? And this merchant, he finds the Messiah. And when he finds the Messiah, he goes out and he sells all that he has, all that he possesses for This is how we're meant to interpret this parable. And then even we have to ask the question, could this story even be loosely connected to Matthew? A few chapters earlier, Matthew was a tax collector, someone who had betrayed his friends and family to serve Rome and basically be part of the Gestapo of Rome in order to collect taxes, in order to to deliver justice and judgment, in order to punish any riots. That was Matthew. And maybe Matthew is somehow saying, I was a man of the world, and I found the Messiah. And guess what? I walked away. From tax collecting. I walked away because the Messiah showed me a better way to love people. And he showed me and invited me in to his hidden kingdom because he was the hidden king. And so then we come to the last word that we're gonna look at from in this passage. We've got to look at this priceless pearl versus our fine pearl. Because this merchant was after fine pearls, but he found something priceless. Again, priceless in Greek, polytimon. Some translations call it, could be worth much honor, very costly. But what's interesting is, how does Matthew use this word later in his gospel? How do another gospel writers use this word? Well, there's a story about a woman, a sinful woman a courtesan, a woman of the night, who comes to Jesus with something very precious, something very costly. And it's in this alabaster jar and it's it's spikenard and they say that it's worth a year's wages. And she breaks it at the feet of Jesus. People don't do that. In fact, that kind of lavish wealth is only used for royalty. But wasn't that the point? Wasn't she breaking this very costly thing that she possessed for royalty? This is how the gospel authors record what is priceless. This act of worship and act of sacrifice by a sinful woman breaking a jar of expensive And then in 1 Peter 1.7, he uses the word as well. That what is very precious, our faith. Our faith. Our faithful in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hidden king now revealed. The priceless pearl is the gospel in this parable. And so we're going to have to talk about this pearl versus all the fine pearls that we stack up in our life and we accumulate from the emporium. Some of those things that um, we have stacked up is knowledge. Many of us are professionals in our fields. We've gone through schooling and work experience, and we've got knowledge. And we can have a lot of pride. Knowledge can be a pearl in our life. It can be the pearl that even eclipses the gospel. What else is wealth? We can accrue possessions and money and balances in our accounts and our retirement funds. And our wealth can become our treasured possession, not the gospel. Another one I think that is... um, kind of maybe more targeting our culture, the culture of the emporium, is time. Because I feel like the millennial generation, even the younger generation, sometimes it's like, hey, we've given up on wealth and knowledge, but we want our free time. Don't tell us what to do with our time. It's ours to spend as we will. And so time has become a precious pearl to us. And then, pride, the pride of our life. And I wanted to share this as a, um, a blanket one because I don't know what that is for you. There could be something that you are proud about, um, and that could be a pearl. And it could even be something that is a secret sin, but nonetheless, you don't want to confess it, and it's developed into this area of pride or it could just be something that you think it makes you better than everybody else. Or more right than everybody else. Or how the way you see the picture is the only way. And that's your fine pearl. You're right. Other people are wrong. Get over it. And so we come back to where we started. Pearls and parables. Parables. Jesus shares a short parable, but make no mistake, he is confronting culture. He is confronting the men and women of the emporium. And he is saying, what are you going to do with your fine pearls? Because oftentimes the fine pearls are what we look back at and we say those are the pursuit of our lives, are our fine pearls. And Jesus is saying, is the pursuit of your going to life, is it going to be the hidden kingdom with the hidden king, or is it going to be the pearls scattered around in the emporium that everyone can see? This is the confrontation that he's inviting his listeners into, and it's a choice that they're going to have to make. The reason why the pearl is so costly is because at the end of the day, you're going to have to make a choice. And any time we think that we can present Jesus along with the rest of the world, we're not teaching a true gospel. Because Jesus said that you can only have the pearl of great cost. There's another story of confrontation that I'd love to share uh, from my marriage bring it home a little bit. Um, So it was about two and a half years ago, and um, for Father's Day, and I think I shared uh, this story a a year or two ago, I know I've shared it with some of you, Uh, but for Father's Day, my wife got me a gym membership. So I think she was trying to like tell a parable, (laughs) she's like, there's a hidden meaning that I've got with this gift for you, and you've got to figure it out. And I was a little salty, if that's okay to share. I was kind of like, what? Gym membership for Father's Day? I was not expecting that. Um, But she was confronting something in my life that needed to be confronted. Jesus does that all the time. And fortunately for me, he he uses my wife to do that as well. And she was confronting this whole idea of just kind of letting myself go and eating whatever I wanted. The Bible calls that sin gluttony. And she was confronting me with that, and I was given a choice. And so the last two and a half years, I've been working out um, about three times a uh, week. It's been a lot of fun. Um, it's been challenging. Um, it's... Uh, forced me to, to reevaluate some decisions and choices. I actually was just in the gym this week. Really good to get back into a rhythm and um, my coaches there challenged me. They said, Andrew, you've been here for, for two and a half years. Um, you know, you've lost about 20 pounds, but um, we'd really love to see you try to come one more time a week um, and also watch more of what you're eating. And I'm like, you're right, because I'd love to, again, hold intention um, this area in my life. I don't need to just eat whatever I want, and not exercise. Um, I want to be healthy and fit so I can uh, love my kids, play with my kids when I get older, so I can spend and cherish time later in my life. And these are things that my wife was seeing. They're not things that I was seeing. So this is um, this area of tension, right? Fine pearls versus the one and only pearl. And we all have areas of tension in our life. Um, So I'd love to share something at the gym that I use. It's a workout band. It's tension. It's helping me stretch. And uh, I'm so confused. Um, um, But I wanted to share an area of tension because I think this is where some of us are at in this room. We've believed in the gospel and the pearl of great price. But there's some areas of tension in our life where maybe we are holding on to some stuff. And I think we need to hold on and have some tension. So I'd love to share some of those things. And then I'd like to close with sharing where our church is at and where some points of tension are at in our church. So um, as you can see, it's just a band If you're not careful, you can have bad experiences with these, especially on assisted pull-ups. So let the reader understand, the listener understand. Um, But if there's no tension, it's kind of loose and flappy and fat. You start putting tension on it, it gets a little more rigid. There's probably some really cool, smart people that can tell you all about tension equations and stuff like that in this room. But also tell you that if you put too much tension on something, it'll snap. I feel like sometimes that's where we're at in our lives with following God. There's areas that we know we've got to work on, but they're just, we're not really working on them. And there's some areas that, man, we're doing really well in. We've got some great tension. We're not a people of the world. We're living in the world, but we're not of it. And then there's some areas that maybe there's so much tension on. And those are oftentimes the areas that we think we're doing well and we're judging the people around us, that they're not doing enough or they can step it up. And you get to that point, when you start tensing there, something's going to snap. And oftentimes it's not pretty. And oftentimes in my life, what that looks like is I get angry. And so what are those areas of tension that I feel like, man, for us, we can invite into our lives more? The first is uh, just the area of knowledge. You know, we talked about these fine pearls earlier. We're coming back to them. We're wrapping around to them. Knowledge. What are we doing with the incredible gift of our minds that God has given us? I'm deeply grateful to pastor what I think is one of the smartest churches in America. I mean, we have people that, um, you know, fly. We have uh, people in the military. Uh, We have college students learning all stuff. We have uh, engineers at the top of their field. We have professionals across the board. But what are we doing with our mind? Because most of America, what they do with their mind is they turn it on with coffee in the morning. I'm guilty of that as well. They turn it on with coffee in the morning. They limp through the day. They put the kids to bed or they finally come home from work. They eat something. And then they let their minds vegetate for a couple hours. Whether it's TVs, video games, whether it's Netflix. We just kind of allow our minds to be unused for the glory of God. And God has told us a story about a hidden king with a hidden kingdom because he wants to invite us in to learn about his story. And so I'd love to challenge all of you this year. Start becoming biblically literate. Start learning the story of God because the Bible, you see, the Bible is not an encyclopedia Britannica where you can turn to and be like, oh, I want to learn about that. Cool, I want to learn about that. The Bible's a story. And stories have threads and themes and characters and tie-ins and they're rich. The Bible's not a book with a bunch of pearls of wisdom in there. book that teaches you how to be wise by following the hidden king in his hidden kingdom. Wealth. Tension with wealth. And this is tough because we've got bills and we've got things we have to pay for and we have our toys and, and we have our vacations and we have our dreams and, and fun. But I love to introduce some tension with our wealth because while Americans seem to be prospering the church seems to be limping along. Our wealth, should it not be first and foremost presented to the king who we believe is above all kings? And so the tension there is, you know, maybe that's something that you're not really considered about, Thought about tithing or giving to the church. I encourage you to start. Maybe, maybe you're doing that great. Maybe you've got that perfect tension. Continue to do that. Excel in that. Maybe you're doing that really, really well, and you're wondering why everybody else is, and you're getting frustrated and angry about that. Find that tension, but don't allow your wealth to possess you. Jesus talked a lot about parables with money and wealth because he wanted his people to not be bound by the tyranny of wealth. And one of the easiest things that he said is, why don't you just give some of it to God? May we have tension with our wealth. The third thing, again, is our time. We live in our castles, and we build our castles, and we use our time how we want to use our time. Have we stopped to think how we might need to use our time for the glory of God and the kingdom And what does that look like? And so I hope that sharing these things, I've hope that I've given you guys some tension to start thinking about in the new year. If the gospel in Jesus Christ is our great pearl that is very costly, He is asking that we get rid of the other fine pearls. I think we do that by holding some of these things in tension. I want to be very careful because I, I want you to hold intention that I'm not this isn't a, an attempt to shame anybody or convict anyone, but to hold it in tension. As we said earlier, you might not be doing it right now, but you bring it to a point of tension. And if you are doing it, then you don't need to be prideful or self-righteous about it. Might need to loosen up a little bit. And so the real confrontation is bound up in these two images as we close talking about the emporium and the world and the gospel. These two images, um, right around World War II, um, uh, the Japanese, shortly thereafter, figured out a way how to manufacture pearls. See, before, pearls had to be acquired by hand and you had to dive 50 to 100 feet to the ocean floor It was a dangerous endeavor. But then they figured out ways to just inject an oyster, a clam, a bivalve, if you're going to get technical, with a grain of sand, multiple grains of sand, so you can mass-produce pearls. They weren't as valuable, certainly not as cool as being able to find a pearl on the ocean bed's floor. But we are living in an emporium. We're living in a world that mass produces pearls. You can have anything you want on Amazon. I'm serious. We serve a God who says there's still one priceless pearl. And I think for us to understand that, we have to ask ourselves... Question about this story, about this parable. Because the merchant didn't risk anything for the pearl. He just happened to cross it. Whether it was in a hut in a coastal village that he was trading with, or whether it was in the marketplace, the merchant did not risk anything. See, the person who risked everything... And and what was most frequent in the ancient world was pearl divers to be a father and son team, sometimes even a father-daughter team, but a father and son team. They would row out several hundred feet from the shore early in the morning when the waves and the sea was calmer. And the son would tie a rope around his ankle with a large rock. Next, he'd take a, a bag, and then he'd jump overboard. He would sink. Again, 50, 100 feet. Uh, 125, 130 feet is kind of like the danger zone uh, for pressure. And, And the risks were great. Sharks blacking out at the bottom and drowning, having a stone tied to you. But the sun would would as as best as possible try to peer around the ocean floor, cut clams off with a knife as quick as he could, put them in his pouch. He might have 30 seconds, a minute, at most, until he yanks on the rope for his dad to pull him up. His dad would pull him up, and he'd swim up. And this is how they made a living. And then this is how they searched for pearls. And sometimes you'd open up the clam, and nothing. Nothing, no pearl. It's okay, it went f- towards your lunch that day. And so then we come back to this story and the merchant, he didn't risk anything. The pearl diver is the one who risked everything. And then we see, wait, isn't the gospel a story about a father and a son? And a son who was lowered down to the depths of the ocean and left there to die. But in so doing, tied his bag of clams and had his father raise those up. And opening up is the gospel. And the story continues, though, because the son does not lie at the ocean floor forever, but he is raised up. And so we come to this beautiful story encapsulated in just two verses in Matthew about Jesus Christ, a hidden king who suffered, died, was buried, was left at the ocean floor so that we could be a people of the world, merchants that stumble across, that find this pearl of great price, and we would have a decision in front of us. We would have a decision to sell everything that we have, to possess Of great price. The three things for the new year and how that intersects with our church. The first is what you've just heard is the story of the gospel. Now I don't know if you've made that decision. To sell and trust and leave all of your time, wealth and knowledge, all of your fine pearls, and buy the one pearl of greatest cro- of, of greatest price. And if that's you, and if you want to do that again, talk to me. One of the other pastors. We'd love to help you in making that decision this year to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and believe in the gospel. Will you trade your fine pearls for the priceless? second thing is, is, again, as we talked about this area of tension, right, will you consider being in community and love in our church? I think it's one of the greatest things that checks all of our fine pearls, all of our knowledge, all of our wealth, all of our time, all of our pride gets checked at the door when we start being real with people. Will you consider doing that with us this year? And then the last thing is is we've shared it um, a couple times in an awesome December um, prayer initiative. But this next year, we're looking um, to plant a church or to raise up a team or just to have a a greater vision around that. Will you commit to being in tension with us about that? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, um, for the treasure that we have. We've not had to pay the price for the pearl. Rather, we've found it. God, thank you for letting your people stumble across the gospel, the priceless pearl. Nor we worship your son who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And I pray that this year would be a year that we cast aside our fine pearls and we hold on to and we grab and we pursue the priceless pearl. God, would you help us, would you help keep our life in tension with that? Um, Lord, I, I pray that you'd um, help every single person in this room figure out what that looks like for them and that they'll leave this place with a desire to talk about pearls with the person that they came with. Would you help us make decisions this year? And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son and the gift of your treasure, the word. May we be a people who explore the riches of a relationship with our king and what it looks like to live in his hidden kingdom. In your name we pray.